Welcome, pop pickers, to the show of the century. And we welcome all our listeners in the United Kingdom and indeed across the world as you come and join us for the last show before the holidays. Um, kind of a number of things before we start off. First of all, have you noticed we've got the full team today? Um, we've moved to a three panel show but just for the last one before the holidays I, I asked them all to be here it's just, I love them so much thank you so much for coming on um let's say hello to them all shall we say hello to them all hello Paul hello I had to unmute myself there <laughs> right <laughs> so um so how's your how's your thumb Paul um yeah it it's I don't know it's immobilized so it doesn't move this is kind of uncomfortable in the heat um so yeah but like uh, my lacerations are now nearly healed so that's good it's uh, good not to have lacerations you'll have to wear leathers next time you go cycling it's so lovely to see you hello hello i am also gonna to have to mute and unmute myself because this little one is high barking. she won't stop barking <laughs> right so to, um, uh, and how is penny in all this it's penny we feel for I know it is. She's okay. She's okay. Well, best luck. We, we may not listen to you much tonight. Stuart, hello, boss. Hello. Mr. Hero, are you all right? I'm fine. It's very hot. Well, we'll come to that in a moment. And yeah. finally, Jane, so humble, but so lovely and so important to the show. It's just lovely to see you. Um, the, the LG, we, we're wishing one, of course, we're missing Sam, and we're missing Sam because tonight is a big night for her because I think she's trying to become the Labour Party candidate for Bishop Auckland constituency. So um, we just send our best wishes down the airwaves to her, and perhaps we can just influence her to say the right things to just sway the members who will be voting um, towards her. She's got an absolutely incredible range of people supporting her. They'd be idiots not to listen to those people. So that's it. Um, and um, one last thing, can I apologise for my camera? Um, my computer screen is coming away from my computer. It's slowly melting and disintelligent. And, and I can fix it if I just press it back there and sort of un re-stick it. But when I did that, it broke the camera. So I've, I've, I've taken it off, and you'll just have to put up with me slowly just a tiny little Okay, question number one. Um, oh, oh, not the week. No, not moment of the week. seamless transition that you come to expect from political muted um moment of the week if any of you chooses the ford report you're in a lot of trouble um paul what's your moment of the week um mine is they have now got together and done uh, the peer review for the public sector and they did put a proviso in there saying well by the way we can't push inflation too high so you're not going to get an inflation pay rise you know, you're actually going to get a pay cut no matter what it is. So they've come out with what is in current inflationary terms, derisory offer of um, 5% for the public sector. Teachers, Patrick Roach, my general secretary of my union, the NASUWT, has come out very, very strongly on this. 
I believe there will be a ballot for strike action of the teaching profession. So, um, yeah, I think the narrative of... Like, there was this uh, reporter and they said, don't you think it's irresponsible? Because this could cause inflation. And it's like, that's already happened. There's already been inflation before we got a pay rise and now we've got no money to afford all the things that capitalism needs us to buy. So you can't have it both ways. And I wish they wouldn't say such stupid, stupid things. Like, what an ill-educated thing to say. Well, if you get a pay rise, it might cause inflation. We've already got inflation. We've got <laughs> mad inflation. Clearly, it's not being caused by people's pay because it's been cut for 12 years in a row. Absolutely. The, the gradual impoverishment of the working classes. Um, Laura, are you able to break off from your dog and, and tell us your moment of the week? Um, possibly. <laughs> um, you can tell me in Paul's went forth properly because that was kind of, that kind of spilled my beans a little bit there. Um, my moment of the week, it's a couple of It's the appearance of more trade unions and the announce, announcement of more strike actions. Um, yeah. Uh, they've been very prevalent on like TV shows and things, which they haven't been for a long time. Um, shush. Eddie Dempsey being on um, Channel 5, Mary Boosted being on, um, I think she was on Question Time, uh, Patrick Roach today on the BBC, all just saying this is unacceptable and um, they're going to be basically ballot members um, and I just think it's brilliant this is how we win this is this is what we need to do we need to be sort of getting our trade unions behind everything and just in terms of what Leanne Powell was saying how do we look like Leanne I am also melting <laughs> I am so hot <laughs> I've got Pits and Perverts t-shirt on that's why I'm so cool it's nice and baggy and, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, uh, I, I have actually been wandering around. To, I'm going to be talking about this later on as well. You, you, you're all pinching things we're going to be talking about later on. But I've been wandering around in my vest and shorts, running shorts today, and I've just got dressed posh with trousers and, and my t-shirt just, just for the show. It's, it's awful, isn't it? Stuart, moment of the week. Uh if anybody's been following the, the campaign to, to pick a new Prime Minister, a new Tory party leader, uh, you'll have seen the big uh, TV uh, uh, event that I had where, you know, a bit of a hustings and the, the lies uh, just kept falling out of people's mouths. And one really stood out to me, and it was Kimmy Bardock. And what she said was, in a, an effort to relate to people, that she remembers what it was like working at McDonald's when she was 16 on minimum wage, you know, flipping burgers. And, uh, you know, trying try to, to, to touch base with people. But it was absolute uh, nonsense, you know, just a, another lie, because uh, when Kimmy was 16 working at McDonald's, it would have been the year 1996. And as we all know, National minimum wage didn't take place till April uh, 1999, if I'm not mistaken. So they just they make it up as they go along. You know, they can't, they can't help but lie. You're going to lie, you've got to know your stuff because you get you catch yourself out. The only way really is to tell the truth. Jane, thank you, Stuart. Jane, moment of the week. 
Um, my moment of the week was reading that in the, a recent report by the Environment Agency, the foreword said that the bosses of the polluting private water companies should be jailed for what they're doing. <laughs> it was really refreshing to know that that truth is being put out there on such an official level. Absolutely. It's time we started chopping their heads off like they did in the French Revolution. There's no comeback. I mean, you talked about this the other day, Jane, about the, when you were talking about the Grenfell dis disaster. And all these people who knowingly did these, put this stuff up, and therefore, uh, and absolutely knowingly, uh, it was almost like um, murder because it was premeditated. They knew the risk and they chose to take it. Nobody's doing a damn thing at all. Chop their heads off, you know. Well, we just go to jail. We won't do violence, but we'll put them in jail. Yeah, well, you're a very kind person. That's great. Um, right. Um, before we move to the um, big story, I'm, I'm going to sing to you. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows that the war is over. Everybody knows that the good guys lost. Paul, what crossing has the Labour Party achieved today? And is it going to turn out to be a Rubicon or a rivulet? So the Ford report's been released. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure people who listen to this are probably somewhat aware that there was a report commissioned into the uh, the leaking of a document that suggested that um, during Labour's anti-Semitism crisis that there were all sorts of factional shenanigans going on and, uh, and that people were undermining the Labour Party's chances of winning from within the Labour Party. So uh, there were... There were reports within this leaked document that said that um, that Labour Party staff, people who were employed at the highest levels of the Labour Party, were deliberately working against the leadership of the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn to try to undermine him and Labour's chances of winning. Um, the Ford report's been released today. It certainly doesn't rebuke any of what the um, anti-semitism report said it also said that the people who um, released that report and who wrote that report were not trying to do so for factional means they, they and, and they did not try to sorry not 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 that they, they said that they were not trying to downplay the problems of anti-semitism in the party which was widely reported on the BBC, for example, on Panorama and all those things that this that these people were trying to pretend that there wasn't a problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Um, so, yeah, it's been really interesting because they concluded that anti-Semitism was used for factional means, which is really interesting, given, given that that is why Jeremy Corbyn currently does not have the Labour Party whip, because... He said that it was exaggerated for political purposes within uh, both from enemies, both within and outside of the party. Now, two Labour MPs have also said that this week. Sorry, one. So former Labour MPs 
uh, Ruth Smith and um, and Margaret Hodge both this week um, came out to defend Keir Starmer, who was criticised for filming a party political broadcast type video in front of the Holocaust Memorial in uh, in Berlin. Um, people said that was in bad taste and it was considered to be in very bad taste in Germany. And something called the Campaign Against Anti-Semitism um, said as much. They said that this was a bad thing that Keir Starmer's done. Um, and those two people came out and said that Campaign Against Anti-Semitism is a factional... It, yes. it, it, it's been used for political purposes, which is really, really yeah. interesting. So we've had two things this week that have kind of said very similar things to what Jeremy Corbyn said to get himself kicked out of the Labour Party. We've, we've, yeah. we've, what we've uh, been, we've been chucked out of the Labour Party for saying that anti-Semitism was weaponised. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, very... the Labour Party, it's no longer the Ford Report says that it was weaponized. It's, yeah. It's so, so unless the Ford report is there's the report into the Ford report of, and maybe maybe Mr. The, the the QC who has written this may be accused of something at some point, or 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 we accept it as being reality and try to move on. And I think that was the interesting thing about it was like, I think from reading it, he's kind of said there's there's a problem on both sides of factionalism and everyone's trying to work for their own faction. I think he's done yes, that to try and it it Because the difference between those two sides is that one side was the elected leadership yeah. Um, yeah. by the membership of the Labour Party. The other were officers who were in league with the Blairites and, and doing things undercover. And Jeremy Corbyn's put out a letter saying that sort of transferring that money was uh, maybe not illegal, but it was yeah. absolutely uh, immoral. It also said that there's a there's a hierarchy of uh, of racism within the Labour Party, and at the bottom of that hierarchy is Islamophobia. Um, yes, the, and that Muslims are being treated badly within the Labour Party, which I think will be a shock to some people, given the report and the way things have been reported. We've mentioned this in the past. We've worked with people in Labour Muslim Network to try and support them. Um, you know, I think I think the way that um, it's been written, it, it the whole idea is to try and build a bridge and say, look, you're never going to win elections by going on like this. You're never going to win elections with factionalism. Stop it. But the way it's been reported, you've had the right wing press going out or the centrist press going out and saying, well, this justifies everything. Factionalism got worse under Corbyn. Well, it got worse under Corbyn because of the way they reacted to Corbyn, you know, it wasn't because of Jeremy Corbyn. Well, perhaps it was because of Jeremy Corbyn, but it wasn't instigated by Jeremy Corbyn. And then the left-wing press has said, um, has said it entirely justifies everything that we've been saying for years. Yes. Hang on, just one last question before I move on, and we've got we should be moving on now. Um, I mean, when I ask you whether it's a Rubicon or a rivulet, I mean, my, my view is is that it's just two years too late. All the left-wingers have either been chucked out or, or given up the ghost and gone. That sort of, um, the fact that the Ford has broadly um, uh, supported um, the left-wing um, narrative of what happened, um, it's not going to make any difference, is it, to the, the cause of the Labour Party? Well, there's a... The there's been a lot of factionalism since 
that time anyway and it just seems to be that there's been no fight back against that factionalism now like that the, the little bit of power that the left had is now all gone so now the right control the leadership office and so it's more harmonious between hq and the leader's office because they're trying to do the same thing which is and the NHK. yeah and, and and obviously there's going if they're all politically aligned then yeah there will be less issues but the hq should never have been politically aligned and that's what keeps being reinforced you know they're meant to be yeah, the, the servants service. not the masters of the membership um yeah. i've just i'm going to move on now unless uh, jane laura stewart have you anything that you want to say about the ford report perhaps wisest um thank you very much um uh the um uh, I, I'm, no comments. That, uh, there's, there's some of the Neil Terry's had a family day. Uh, that was his moment of the week. Um, did anybody notice any other good moments of the week from people on on, on the? And uh, very few comments about the Ford report. Wisest people. Let's let that pass. Okay. Um, big story. Now it's time for the big story. And the big story is 40 degrees centigrade. Okay, just a quick roundup. Be quick, people. What have you been doing to keep cool? Laurie, you've clearly been failing. Um, sort of, but what have you been doing to try to keep cool? Oh, God, I have feel so badly. I've done everything that they said. I've closed all the windows, closed all the curtains, because I did originally try opening the window to let a draft in, but it's just hot air. I've just been drinking loads and loads of water and just trying to stay in the shade. Uh, but I can't, I'm not built for this weather, you see. I'm just a delicate English rose. I need to be in wow. the autumnal weather. <laughs> You've been glowing all day. Or glowing <laughs> So, Jane, what have you been doing to, to, to... Neil Terry says he's been walking naked around his supermarket. He's just... He, 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 he would have been arrested. So, to, um, um, Jane, what have you been doing to keep cool? Um, I've been drinking lots of water and I had an ice lolly. So, not very interesting, but I've been working. So, I was kind of confined to a desk area. The um, so Have you got um, an air con or anything like that? We've got we've got a fan um, that we had on last night, which it was still really warm even with a fan on. But it the warm water, around, warm air around the, the the bedroom, doesn't it? It's hopeless. It's a fan. Sort of. Um, but when you get an aircon unit, it makes you cool, but it's destroying the environment, isn't it? And it, it? messes with your sinuses as well. They always give me bad sinuses air conditioning. So you just suffered suffered nobly, have you? Oh, I wouldn't say no, B. <laughs> have, um, have you stayed indoors like Laura? I've stayed indoors today, but I've been camping for the last week. And oh, so I've just been standing in a field in this heat. And I'm really glad I'm in a house now because I don't like being outdoors and I don't like the sun. So it wasn't fun. I um, I ended up, um, on the days they told you not to go out in the sun, I ended up doing... Um, uh, pouring cement with my son on Monday and, and and trying to find a walking miles, trying to find a post box in Whitby um, this afternoon. I've, I've been out in the midday sun with all the mud dogs. So, so there we go. Paul, 
How have you been, Keith? You look so, Paul looks good, doesn't he? I mean, you got to admit that. Somebody said, somebody said, um, lower down the, the, the comments that you, you, you're looking very handsome indeed and certainly cool in a fashion sense, Paul. Um, how have you kept cool? <laughs> just normal things, just wearing, wearing t shirts and shorts and, um, yeah. Yeah, it's been okay. Also, I'd practiced by being really, 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 really boiling in the gym for months on end. So I'm quite acclimatized to being warm. I'm still a bit sticky and stuff, but it's not it's not so bad. I, I, I always thought of myself as quite a, um, a northern European kind of person who couldn't cope well with the heat. But I think I'm doing okay at the moment. Um, not too bad. But, uh, Neil Terry asks um, Jane if she's been outstanding in her field. No, Neil, she's been standing outside in her field. She is outstanding in the field in a metaphorical sense. Now, you know this and I know this. It's just... Um, last, Stuart. you got to admit, Stuart looks very cool as well, doesn't he? He does. Uh, I'm not. I'm roasting. Uh, you know, uh, I've struggled all day. I've had a cold bath and the one thing that's been keeping me going is known for a fact that I'll never be as hot as Margaret Thatcher is down in hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Um, sort of, you are going to be as hot as this on a regular basis in the years to come, I suspect, Stuart. Laura, um, what are the dangers of temperatures like this? Oh, so many dangers. Um there's been a lot of research done, as I'm, I'm sure you'll have read, because it's all coming out now because it's so important. Um, Oxford University have said that um, that extreme temperatures are really impacting on people who suffer with any sort of mental health issues. Um, I think it was for every suicide rate go up by 3.8% for every one degree Celsius rise in temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, now that might just be the correlation that that just that that says it all, but it's probably more down to the fact that you know extreme heat usually means disturbed sleep, um, just being really uncomfortable, um, things like that can really exacerbate mental health problems, especially things like depression. Um, so it probably feeds into quite a lot of that. Also, there's been it's been a couple of deaths as well, um, not just because of heat exhaustion, but because um, there's a danger with people jumping into open water. Yes. Um, so, you know, there's been a young boy who's jumped into a river who, whose body's just been found. Um, you, 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 you see them out at the beach all the time, all jumping off piers and things. It's really, really so dangerous to jump into any body of water that is, you know, open um and there's, there's a lot of sort of risk involved in that so that that is another danger as well um skin cancer an obvious one that you know we see dr hillary jones every summer come out on good morning tv or whatever it is called now i don't have time to watch that stuff in the morning if it's not cbb's i don't watch it um, <laughs> but you know every single year and i think it's like seventeen thousand cases a year in the uk of skin cancer um, the majority of which is from the sun um, and exposure to it. So that there is, there are a lot of dangers associated with um, extreme temperatures, and it isn't just 
the heat, it, it's a lot of other things that sort of feed into that. So it's quite scary, actually. The more research you do, you, the more you realise you really, we should maybe be spending our money on aircon in our houses now. Because uh, John, as you say, this, like looking at climate change, the dangers with that, this is going to happen on a much more regular basis. Um, some one of the newspapers said that it's going to be every other summer now we can expect temperatures like this for a longer periods of time and our infrastructure just is not built for this and I can proudly be one of those people who can whinge about the heat because I am not one of those people who goes oh wouldn't it be lovely to have a really sunny day no bring on the crisp autumn weather that's what I'm about look at me here has anybody seen the episode of friends and she's like it's the humidity that's me <laughs> so, no, I'm definitely not built for this it's dangerous and we're not ready for it we're not prepared for it at all okay well um, I've been looking for arguments um in, in support of um climate change action and um keeping your hair right is is going to be added to the Top priority job <laughs> fantastic thank you Stuart um has the government response to the heat wave been good enough no I mean uh we, we live in a country who uh at times will just say you know what deal with it and you look around the globe and you you see the legislation that protects workers from working in the heat. And uh, you, you see uh, governments that have legislated and, and put into place developments to protect their infrastructure in, you know, the, the ever-changing climate situation that we have. Uh, when trains can't work and when planes can't land or take off because the tarmac's melting underneath them and uh, when posties are having to be checked up on by the people they're delivering to and, and offered support and water and, you know, uh, ice lollies to get them through the day. That's not right. We, we don't have a, an, an upper limit on temperature for workers, which is disgusting. Uh, you know, we, we know that heat kills. It kills the most vulnerable people first and uh, it can do considerable damage if you get into a, a really tough situation. We're seeing people die across mainland Europe now uh, as they're struggling with the, the excessive heat. And we're not learning any lessons from it. And while the COBRA meeting was taking place to, to actually look into this and react, Boris Johnson, as the leader of, of the country, uh, was having a barbecue. You know, the, the, the actual concern around this is negligible. Thank you. I'm just looking at some of the, um, uh, uh, the the comments. You're right, Leanne Powell. Aircon is dreadful. It uses electricity. It um, and um, uh, it, it moves heat around. Um, it doesn't create heat, um, but it's um, it's uh, very very wasteful. Of um, uh, yes, I have heard of Instacool, Mia Mantri, but remind us all, please. Um, crop failures, says Mark Longley. Fires uh, in, in, in Spain, in France, they're calling it um, the apocalypse, um, the um, heat apocalypse. Um, and, and up there, it's heading in, into the high 70s. Um, uh, uh, yes, um, so thank you for all your... Um, uh, comments. Um, the the um, Jane, um, 
what what do we need to do? What 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 kind of things do we need to do to address to adapt to a a, a warming environment? Did Stuart want to say one more thing first? I thought. Oh, Stuart, were you? Oh, I thought you. Oh, yeah. Uh, when somebody mentioned aircon, because obviously all these other nations that have an upper limit on workplace temperatures, they've already worked this out. So they don't use aircon in, in big factory units and in uh, automotive workshops in America. They use evaporative cooling systems, uh, which basically uses water and a bit of a fan, which is much more uh, efficient. And they have one of the lowest working temperatures of 24 degrees, uh, which is lower than even Germany. You know, the solutions already exist on that one. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for your knowledge. Jane, um, um, what else do we need to do apart from um, our legislation about um, temperatures of work? So, so we definitely need to look, look up looking after workers, um, obviously, and putting a proper law in place for that because the Conservatives stood up and justified that today, saying that we've got already got a law saying it needs to be a reasonable temperature, but it's not defined what a reasonable temperature is. So you can't challenge that until it becomes unreasonable and someone becomes very ill or dies. So should we really need to be putting ourselves in that situation to be able to get what's right? But also, I would say what we could do at a time when railway lines are breaking in the heap of you know that our infrastructure is not made to deal with we could not think about cutting 33 percent of all maintenance jobs um, which is one of the reasons that the rmt are very bravely standing up to avoid the government's ridiculous plan and dangerous plans to do that and what we could also do at a time when people are facing a cost of living crisis and can't afford to eat we could stop private water companies pumping raw sewage into our waterways causing the first typhus outbreak in the country in decades at a time when people cannot afford to buy mineral water and need to be able to drink the water from their taps so those are really basic protective <coughs> measures that our government could take for us um, before they start thinking about improving our infrastructure and making sure that people have access to, to green space and some outdoor area because you've got people living in tower blocks in tiny spaces surrounded by concrete with no access to any sort of fresh air and no safe areas they can go to to protect themselves from the heat. And you've got tower blocks um, covered in fire, flammable cladding still with no sprinkler systems. These are really simple things the government could do. And maybe they could ask the property developers who are making so much money out of this to pay for that. I'm not really sure that any of these measures would actually cost us very much money. Um, and they could also think about implementing ventilation that we desperately need in our schools and other public buildings that would also be a huge help in protecting us from the current outbreak of the pandemic and the future pandemics that are predicted. One of the, one of the problems with our housing stock is that it's been designed for a country that was too cold and we're becoming a country that's too hot. I mean, how would you, what kind of things would you recommend for housing? Oh, housing in this country is so very broken and a lot of, a lot of housing in this country that's been built in the last few decades, I think, is very prone to damp, which comes with a lot of other issues and is exacerbated in this heat as well and has some really serious health side effects. We definitely need to start looking at going forward, putting some regulations in place about what kind of housing is built so that it's actually suitable for people to live in rather than corner cutting to make a quick profit. Um, 
but I don't I don't know what we're going to do about a lot of the housing that has been built in the last few decades because it's it's not really suitable I don't think it's adequate and um, we need to do something about the cost of rents and um, as well it's not it may not be directly linked to this but people who can't afford to pay their rent can't afford to buy water and can't afford to um, buy fans and I don't know, we seriously need to sort out the housing situation. It just causes us so many societal problems. I mean, my beef about housing is that if we built the houses properly, we could build houses that people could live in virtually free of charge. They wouldn't need energy. Um, sort of, um, it's outrageous, really. It's evil. Paul, last question. Um, we're running two minutes late already, Paul. Um, does this... Um, prove that climate change is right? Does this prove the climate change believers? The evidence points out where um, obviously the, it's a scientific consensus that the temperature is rising, but I think we need to be incredibly careful in whatever we do, because if we see weather, which this is, um, this is this is weather in its extreme, and, and we need to explain why this is an extreme event. It isn't just weather, but it looks like just weather to people. So the problem that we've got is whenever you whenever you hit a peak temperature in the UK, normally it's that kind of like one place will be a tiny fraction of a degree more than was recorded before, and it's like wow that kind of thing. Today and yesterday, we've been seeing it all over the country has been hitting well above previous years. And previous years, if you look at the previous years as well, like people talking about that 1976, like, oh, it was hot in 1976. 1976, um, I think it's about four degrees hotter than the hottest day in 1976, which was meant to be this amazing summer that everyone had. But we need to be really, really careful on this because we do criticise people when, you know, if we use this narrative, oh, it's hot now, Oh, but it's cold in the winter. We need to describe what we're talking about here. We need to be really, really intelligent when, we, when we're describing it. It's not just because it's hot. It's extremes of hot and cold. It's, an, it's in, instability. It's the changing of the way water flows around the world. These are all things that are going to change our way of life. Um, so, yes, climate change is correct, but not just because we've had a couple of hot days now. Climate change is a gradual process that is happening and the world is warming over time. And a lot of people are trying to fund a narrative to try to make that as confused as possible. And it's interesting, a year ago, I had a Facebook status about, I just read Cokeland, the book, and the Koch brothers, and they have funded a lot of the right-wing kind of think tanks. They also funded a think tank called The Third Way, by the way, which infiltrated left-wing politics um, and they were their, their basic thing is look we're oil manufacturers if we can't sell oil then we'll run out of money so let's tell everyone that there's nothing wrong with burning a load of oil when the world's changing and that's the problem and I think a lot of people on the other side of the argument who are saying it isn't real have been lied to about so many things have been gaslit in so many ways why would they trust the media? But they just choose and they, a lot of people are very clever and have, they've fed their algorithms and stuff like that online with these like kind of conspiratorial things like climate change isn't real and stuff like that. Yes, it is, but you're not wrong to think that you are being lied to by the media who are cherry picking the, 
the, the things that we need to do with climate change, which is basically the capitalism's form, which is saying, oh, you need to buy more stuff. Oh, you need to do that. Like, you can't get out of this with capitalism. We need to leave nature alone for a little while. You know, we need to allow it to get back on an even keel, which isn't going to happen. I was um, uh, reading today, Eddie Adam uh, posted something about the fact that Friends of the Earth have taken the government to court. And um, the court has declared that their um, uh, climate um, policy is inadequate to task, that they've lied. It's not going to get us to 1.5 by 2050. And um, they've given them until March 2023 to, to change it, which, if true, is fantastic. Um, right. Thank you very much indeed, everybody, for those lovely comments about the heat. Who would have thought, hey, all that stuff coming out of the the fact that it's a hot day. Let's move on, Paul. Is it time to go yet, Paul? Sort of, I didn't hear that. Sorry. Um, further rail strikes. Um, Stuart. How are these um, further rail strikes justified? Well, if uh, you've been taking note, and you, you will have been, because everybody's living in the same economic nightmare right now, is that unless you receive uh, pay and compensation uh, for your labour uh, that uh, raises with inflation and more closely with the, the RPI index at the, the lower end, of the wage spectrum, uh, you're actually taking a pay cut. Uh, what we're seeing, uh, certainly in the rail industry, is massive uh, profit exploitation, wages that are worse than stagnant, and uh, conditions being changed around to the point that they, they risk people's lives. So uh, the, the workers uh, aren't taking it no more. So you agree with the strikes? I, I agree that with every worker that needs to take action to protect their, their terms, their conditions, their, their income, their security and their future. And should the Labour Party support, should the Labour Party support workers when they've been driven to those extremes that they have to consider strike action? Yes. Thank you very much indeed. Simple answer. It is. And um, I, I just cannot believe that for 12 years, even a Tory government can expect people to, to see their wages falling further and further behind without doing something about it. Jane, I'm going to quote you, Andrew Haynes, who's the chair of Network Rail. Quote, it is clear that the best interests of passengers and our staff are taking second place to the union boss's political campaign. Reaction? I've never heard such a ridiculous, disingenuous statement. That's an absolutely stupid thing to say. Cutting 33% of frontline maintenance is not in the interest of passengers who might be victim to an accident as a result. Closing nearly a thousand ticket offices and removing staff from stations. As, a, as someone who's commuted for many, many years, I can tell him that is not in my interest and it is not what I want. It's, it's just a, it's an awful thing to say. I think he's, I just think he's scoring cheap goals against the RMT, trying to make it sound like something it's not. It's the people with these plans to cut station staff and maintenance staff 
they're the people who don't have the passengers interests at heart and there's nothing to gain from us by losing these jobs and from having workers on poverty wages stealing money out of our local economies because people can't afford to live whilst the profits get siphoned off and taken out of the country in most instances it's just an offensive thing to say I mean, it was the word political that I found offensive, isn't it? It's it's trying to sort of um, uh, take us back to the miners' strike and and, um, and and sort of, in fact, you've made it clear that the RMT strike is just absolutely a straight down the line um, uh, economic strike, isn't it? About yeah. economic things. It's standing up for all of us, it's standing up for workers and it's standing up for passengers. And I'm very grateful to the RMT for taking the stand on my behalf as a passenger. And Asleth's joining it now as well. As, uh, I mean, I, I think it's good that they're standing in solidarity. And I think it's very easy for people like Boris Johnson to stand and say, well, oh, train driver, the average train driver gets a good salary. Um, and they've completely ignored up until the point, you know, from the start, as they have only recently decided to strike, but the RMT wasn't a train driver's strike. The RMT strike was about cleaners and station staff, a lot of staff who are earning a lot less than train drivers. And again, it seems to me that it's been a political tactic to distort that truth and make people think that that was about train driver salaries. But uh, train drivers, they do a really physically demanding job. They work unsociable hours. They work in horrible temperatures. It's a skilled job. And they earn a lot less than people like Boris Johnson. So who are they to stand there and tell workers that we're not entitled to a wage that we can actually afford to live on and have a little bit of comfort? So to tell you that having a wage which will enable you to live, in fact, will damage the country. And I mean, it's quite it, the opposite. It's true. It's, just horrific. Um, yes, Neil, uh, TSSA um, uh, managers in the train companies, they've joined as well, which is good and, and shows that um, it, it's um, uh, it's a reaction by the workforce to absolutely crazy decisions by the bosses. Paul, um, they're still talking about hiring agency workers um, to, to, to break the strike. I mean, what are the problems of such a, a policy and, and, and how do we, um, as supporters of the RMT, what, what can we do to, to help stop such talk? There are a variety of problems with hiring agency workers. One, it's morally corrupt. Um, the fact that I, like, I, I'm personally furious that these strikes are going ahead, but not because of the way the right-wing press are furious about it. I'm furious about it because the bosses haven't sorted this out. The, boss lay, the, the bosses are squarely to blame. All the blame lies squarely at their door. Any strike that occurs happens because of poor management, poor leadership and failure to sort things out at a level because it is never an easy decision. It's an awful decision to take a day, a day of strike. And, and the people who suffer most are the people in those jobs because they'll be having to give up pay. They'll have to take all the flack and things like that so we should be furious at those bosses but um if they're going to hire agency workers those people will not be trained as to to as high a standard and part of this dispute is about safety we're seeing the railways practically melting at the moment do we want them to be less maintained like the offer to the rmt was to say well actually we'll give you a bit of a pay rise but half of you're going to be made redundant so there will you take it or leave it and like we we don't <laughs> Obviously, they want a pay rise, but they want people to be safe. 
that is part of the thing. They're offering a service, a service that a scanning machine cannot offer. That is what they're, they're fighting for. People are important. People matter. And then these people, what, they become unemployed or they do, like, you know, maybe a, a job that's less well-paid or whatever in the future. How is that any good for the economy? How is it good for the economy that billions will be taken out in order to shore up um, the public transport system in another country, such as France or, or wherever, whoever owns our railways, because it's not us, but it is a lot of other governments. So how is that a good thing? So anyway, agency workers, terrible, terrible idea for safety reasons. Terrible idea because it is draconian that you're even allowed to do that. It is. It, we should be educated enough as as people in this country to understand that that is against our fundamental rights as workers. That should never, ever, ever happen. In other countries, they would not tolerate this. Britain needs to stop being incredibly weak against their own government, bringing in legislation that allows things like this to happen. And terribly polite as well. We used to call it scabbing, you know? Scabbing. I, I don't, sometimes I don't blame the agency staff themselves. Like, you know, they'll be on their knees and, and a lot of people won't understand this in a political education in this country about things like this. Some people might not even realise what that is. They might not even realise what they are doing and why it's wrong because no one ever talks about it because it's so high in the public consciousness that there's naughty people going to go on strike instead of just taking their nice little pay cuts like good little boys and girls. You know, that is the narrative we're fed all the time in the right-wing media and we need to be educating people that that is not the way and people need to stand up and be strong. Laura, the unions are saying that they want higher taxes on the huge corporate profits across the economy. Um, corporate profits in the first quarter of this year were £140 billion. And that's up 34% on 2021. I mean, is that the answer? More taxes? I mean, it's got to be. It's the obvious answer. That that amount is absolutely grotesque nobody should be earning that amount of money when other people in a supposedly developed country are on their knees and suffering and, and are working 10 jobs just to try and keep the electricity on you know and it's only going to get worse in october this cost of living and the energy prices going up the fact that the the disparity between the richest and the poorest in this country is so vast it is it it should be illegal it shouldn't be allowed yes big corporations should be forced to pay their fair share of tax not even not even you know extreme measures of tax just their fair share and that would cover i mean just a multitude of things our education system our you know the nhs all the support networks we need all the transport it would easily cover it because that amount you can't even picture that amount it's 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 just inconceivable how much that is just one last question before i I move on to the next question because as always i'm running out of time um but we have a situation where redistribution of wealth is a dirty word people are very very angry about it and where ordinary people who are the ones who are going to suffer get really angry about the thought that people like them should not accept a real terms pay rise so that profits like that can continue. They get really angry at the thought of of, of, of redistributing wealth to themselves. What's going on 
in their stupid heads, Laura? <laughs> I would never dare to call anybody stupid. I think the media have done and the government, successive governments at that, have done an absolute magic number on the British public in terms of just feeding the narratives. We can't tax um corporations because they'll leave the country and then we won't have any jobs we you know they're they're really important to the economy the fallacy of trickle-down economics all of this perpetuates the myth that we should you know look up to these people and try and keep them where they are and we are we're all working towards keeping these people up on their pedestals they don't suffer the way we do they don't have a clue the lives that we live they've, they've never probably worked a full day in their lives you know they're they're very privileged people um and also the media does this perfect thing um that a lot of people don't really sort of realize is happening but they with things like that when the national lottery came in or pop stars the rivals and x factor and all of that it really does perpetuate this myth that one day it could be you. And do you want that money taken off you? You would work hard for that money. It's yours. You've earned it. And it's like, I don't think you can, I don't think there's a job you can do that would warrant earning billions. I mean, and if there was, it certainly wouldn't be the billionaires who do get it. It'd be more like the key workers you get now who, who would warrant earning that amount of money. Um, but it's just, it's, yeah, it's my definition of nationalism is just where the, the nation produces and the people benefit. And, and, and at the moment, that's not happening. Right, last question. Jane, no Farah, care, uh, revealed that he was trafficked um, as a child. He, and he isn't Mo Farah. He's somebody completely different. I mean, why, why, has, he, why has he done this now? So... He's done this now because he wants to um, he wants to raise awareness of the situation that people like him, people who've been through the same experience of him, what they've really been through. Um, so he was a he was a child. He was kidnapped. He was abused. Um, he was let down badly by our system. He's contributed greatly to society. He's a good person, and now he can see we've got this hostile environment in this country um and he uh, you know at risk to himself of being potentially deported he's come out to reveal his story in the hope that people will be kinder to other people who've been through what he's been through that's my impression yes thank you um i, I got the impression from the uh, documentary as well that Going back to Somalia had a big emotional effect upon him as well, finding, finding his roots. Must have been very hard. And I know it's not the question you asked, but I wanted to say that what really struck me watching the documentary was that he's clearly a victim in this, a child kidnapped, taken away from his family, the contact details destroyed. They didn't know if he was alive. He didn't know if they were alive. And on the other side of it, it seems like there might be another little boy who he was swapped with, who was also torn away from his family, who lived in the UK and hasn't since been allowed back in to victims who you know who've been had been treated terribly um potentially the father of that of little boy as well and 
um, Mo Farah's family. And they've got a document, a visa document copy that shows the person, the woman who brought him in. And it seems to me they've got this documentary evidence and they've got his witness testimony and the witness testimony of the other people affected. But the only person at risk of any sort of prosecution in this situation is Mo Farah, whom you know, he looks like he's not going to be, but potentially could have been deported. The person who actually was responsible for doing this evil, there's no question about them facing any consequences, despite what seems to me like viable evidence. So if that's really what the government's trying to do with this new policy, go after the people traffickers, they seem to have failed disastrously because they don't seem to put anything in place to actually go after the people traffickers. Same as with Grenfell, yeah, yeah. Campaigner for justice, Jane, thank you. Um, Paul? Um, Child trafficking victims like Mo Farah are not getting a fair hearing. I mean, does it um, does this case highlight the fact that there's many more people um, who are just not this country is just not looking after properly? Yeah, um, I think sometimes I think the communities need to know more about one another in a in a much more caring way. Um, we're so um, atomized in our lives that like you know something could be going on next door to us and we wouldn't have a clue and I think we're seeing this time and again and I don't know whether people are harking back to times when when uh, this didn't happen or maybe this always happened I don't know I've only got my own experiences on this but you know I think if someone moved in and, and trafficked a child into my street I would hope that you know, my community would know about that and would be supportive of the child. But I don't think, I think this happens all over the place. And again, it gets, um, it gets used for the, for the entirely wrong reasons when like, you know, when people talk about, you know, different awful things that happen to children throughout the country where people don't know about what's going on in their own communities. I think, um, yeah, we need a society that's more based around people and communities supporting one another rather than this atomised, individualistic society. I think this is all part of it. Thank you. Um, I mean, what changes would you make to the system to, um, to, to give greater support to people who are being trafficked? So I don't really know enough about being trafficked to know how I could possibly support these people but um, it should I don't I, I think when you've got someone in that situation I, I find it really difficult to say like how you would actually help that individual but I, I imagine he went to school I imagine that people like you know you should be able to have to, to talk to people you should be able to have a dialogue you should I mean, be able to you, Paul, that he did. I mean, that's the story. He, uh, he had the name of the teacher, which we need to, Alan Watkinson. He was his yeah. PE teacher. He confided in that, and Alan Watkinson got him taken into care and placed with proper foster carers. And it, then they applied for British nationality, and he got it about 2000, I think that was the case. So, I mean, in that situation, that's it was the school and the teachers that yeah. saved and, and again i think that's the that's another reason why you need um teachers who are not overworked who are well paid who are comfortable who are fresh to be able to do those massively important things in there and i suppose like you hear about 
the times the system fails when we have something disastrous happening um and and those those are reported massively but you don't hear about the times where teachers change people's lives for the better or social workers change people's lives for the better carers change people's lives for the better we don't hear about this enough um but yeah i would say that we need um this is why we need a public sector that communicates with one another that is rested that is supported that is appreciated thank you um laura i mean i had somebody come on and said that um he needed deporting that he'd lied about his um, identity um and anybody else who'd done that would have been deported he needed deporting i mean what would your reaction be to somebody who came onto your facebook <laughs> arguing that well First of all, I'd probably delete them. Uh, I think it, that just shows a complete and utter lack of empathy and understanding at all. And like Paul, I, I don't know the full ins and outs of, of trafficking, of what support these, these vulnerable people need think, and how it can be fixed. But I certainly know that I wouldn't want to kick them back out of the country. Like Jane said, it wasn't his fault. It's not their fault that they're brought here against their will. They've been torn away from their families. The least we could do is show them a little bit of empathy and a little bit of care and go after the actual people who are responsible for doing these things. We This country just have everything backwards. It, like, you know, stopping people in, in dinghies coming here who are desperate to, to find shelter and help and to flee war. We're always blaming the wrong people. We're always looking for a stick and plaster to just go, do you know, this is not our problem. Go away. Someone else needs to deal with it so we can live in our perfect little society that has nothing wrong with it. And it's just, it is, it's really pathetic and it's really, really upsetting, actually. And yeah, there's, there's a lot more that needs to be done about this. So yeah, we probably have a bit of an argument, but actually I, I tend to just go, no, delete these days because I don't have the energy anymore to fight with people who just have such wildly different views to me. I, I do, I, I'm welcome to debate, but if you're just going to be horrible, no thanks. Full of hatred. When um, finally Stuart, the Guardian, um, said that this is a beautiful, heartbreaking story that exposes the cruelty of current Tory policy. Um, I mean, do you agree? I mean, he would have been back he would, today. He wouldn't have been, Alan Watkinson would have reported him to the authorities and he would have been on a plane back to Rwanda. I absolutely agree. It's a heartbreaking story, but it, it isn't an individual case that isn't repeated. I, I would imagine for for the longest time that this is this is being going. But it, it's not just the case on this issue that there's heartbreaking stories going on that people are ignoring in the media uh, every day. Going to school, knowing that the you know the number of kids going in into school hungry. Uh, is rising every day going to to the shops and saying uh parents you know making really tough decisions on on uh whether they they get to eat that day or whether they they have some electricity uh and it shouldn't it shouldn't have to wait till a, a celebrity case comes about before we recognize how heartbreaking these things in society are you know, it should be the the things that we see every day, and you know, it's it's there. You do, you don't need to look hard to see 
the the real awful ghoulish situations that people are in and the challenges that they face. Thank you. And a good place to end. Um, that is the end of today's show, people. Thank you being, for being with us. Um, uh, thank you for being with us. I thought, what, what number is the show? Is it 94 today? 93. 93. I mean, thank you for being with us for 93 shows. And some of you have been there every one of those 93. So, so privileged. We're going to break for the summer holidays. And I'm hoping that will be back in September um, with these wonderful people and their wonderful thoughts. Um, uh, thank you, Paul. Yeah, thank, thank you. Jane. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you, Stuart. Thank You're you. So precious to me, all four of you. Um, and so are you. God bless you. Paul, do you just want to say um, goodbye and get people, tell people about... Um, Socialist think tank. Yeah, we well, do, I also, um, I guess, did can we share the news? Do you think, Laura? I don't want to end on a law. <laughs> I don't want to end on a law. Yeah, Samantha's been unsuccessful this evening. Um, Idiots. Uh, Stupid. <laughs> which you know, we we would have. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure the people were very supportive of other candidates and things, but I I just can't see past Samantha for that seat. So. What a, what a great shame, but uh, I'm sure she'll continue to do amazing things. Um, and you can join Socialist Think Tank, be one of us, join us, and uh, you can do that on our website, which is socialistthinktank.com. Please do subscribe. Please do like everything that we do. It really, really, really does help uh, get involved in stuff. We're looking forward to Political Unmuted coming back, but we're also looking forward to a few weeks off, I think, where we're going to um, try and stay cool over this summer. Um, it's been nice to be back. I've missed three on the bounce, so I've, I've done 90 episodes. Um, so <laughs> um, it is nice to be back, and it's lovely to be with uh, the people on this panel who are absolutely fantastic, um, and everyone who's been on as well. Thank you to all of you who've done that this term. It all feels like end of term because it's end of term in my job. So, yeah, it feels like uh, we should be doing a, a goodbye like that. Um, we will be doing things over the summer. We won't be going away anywhere on social thing time, but we will be kind of mixing things up and maybe trying a few different formats over the over the summer for a bit of fun. So um, I sounded like Tom Fun there, didn't I, from Reason Mortimer? So we're just going to have a little bit of fun. Um, <laughs> who is actually very, very much like Paul Howell in the way he speaks. So, um, yeah, have a great time. Uh, and uh, we'll see you all um, in September if not before. Take care, everyone. Keep the red flag flying here.